The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 164. When born, a baby kangaroo is only one centimeter long. That's about the size of a jelly bean. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and today's episode is part two of my interview with Aton from Snarky Nomad. And if you missed part one, you're going to want to go check that out. In part one, we discuss how to balance travel and also managing travel burnout. We talk about why Aussies think red solo cups are so weird and why that's one of the things that makes Aton continue to travel. And we also give you some fantastic advice on the best ways to use your cell phone abroad. So you can get part one on iTunes, you can find it on Stitcher, and of course you can find it at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. You can also find the show notes for this episode or all 160 plus of episodes that we have recorded. You can get the show notes. You can actually listen to them all right there at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. So right now, let's jump right into part two of my interview with Aton from Snarky Nomad. One of your things is packing ultralight. And you actually put me to shame and everyone who's listening knows that I'm a huge proponent of carry-ons only, and we can get into why, and I think you already know, though. I mean, it just makes sense. But let's start with the pack, because that's you know kind of the first thing, really. If What I've found is if I have a bigger pack, I inevitably fill it up, because it's there. And I'm like, yeah, I could throw an extra sweater in a sweatshirt. What should people be looking for in a pack when they're going to be, let's say, backpacking or things like that? Let's assume that they want some sort of backpack. Yeah. So what I try to tell people, I fail miserably every time, but what I try to tell people is if you just bring enough clothing for a week and you do laundry once a week, you can travel forever and there's absolutely no problem. And they look at me like this is just the craziest idea in the world. I say, you know how laundry machines work, right? You put you put clothes in the laundry, you turn it on, and then there are clean clothes that magically come out of it afterward. So they say like, I guess I could do that for a, a, you know, a week or two. I could pack that life for a week or two, but then I, I wouldn't be able to do it. I go, but at the end of that, you just do laundry, and then you can start from scratch again. But anyway, so I, I don't try to convince people that hard anymore because I just I take the tiny little bag, and they think I'm a crazy person. It works perfectly fine, but they just they still think it's weird. But in in terms of the the pack specifically, so I, I recommended a few on my site, and that was coincidentally there were a couple startups that started making them. There's the Tortuga, which you use, and uh, there there are a couple others that conceptually do the same thing where they open up like a suitcase. It's very convenient. There's a laptop sleeve because a lot of people traveling today, it depends what you do, but a lot of people want to bring a laptop and that that makes it so much easier. The suitcase style opening makes it so much easier. 
And that's not to say that hiking packs are bad because hiking packs usually have better suspension systems. They're super comfortable. They're designed to be carried for 12 hours or something like that. So it's not that it's automatically bad. It's just that most hiking packs, they load from the top. There's this tiny little opening you can stuff stuff into. And if there's something on the bottom you need, it's just you have to empty out every single thing. And it's insane because there are a couple hiking packs that have a sort of a hybrid. There's a top loading and there's also a suitcase style opening which is just the right way it should be. And I don't know why nobody does that, but uh, well, I think this is something you've said before. Just everybody can do carry on only travel. You just bring a week's worth of clothes. You do laundry once a week. And there are people who will say like, what about winter? Like, well, if you bring a down jacket, that stuff's a lot smaller than anything else that humanity has invented so far. So you just get one of those. And they say, what about shoes? And you just bring shoes that look really nice, but are also really, really well built. This is a little easier for men than it is for women because I think if you just get a really nice looking pair of leather shoes that are really tough, you can go on a hike with them. You clean them up afterward. They look really nice. So you can go out for the evening and they'll they'll work with whatever outfit you have. Uh, If they're comfortable enough, you can walk around all day. And there's the potential problem for really, really hot environments because they can get pretty warm. So I I just wear sandals in those. There's some people who kind of prefer, you know, the, the cotton canvas, really thin, really light sneakers. That's okay if you're going somewhere that's not going to rain a lot and you don't worry about the you know the fashion issue because some people are fine with that and I don't really I don't care about fashion that much so it's not really important to me. I, I think if you're if you're going to go with only one, I think the leather shoes are a little more useful. There are more situations that they work in, whereas the cotton canvas shoes are like you know they work for hot weather where it's not rainy. And that's great if that's your trip, then that's great. But otherwise, I I say go with leather. Yeah, I think with the packs, like you mentioned, the, the kind of the things to look for is, you know, try a carry on size pack. And if you only have a carry on size pack, you're going to have to pack in that. And that forces you. And I think once you do it once, you realize I can actually fit a decent amount of stuff in here. If you're packing for a week, I think every, most people's issue. And, and on top of that, I, I love the suitcase opening, the top loading one. I just I've never understood unless you are hiking why to get that because it's such a pain. But I think most people's problem, as you alluded to, is that they pack for all types of situations. Like even if they understand the week thing, which is the the thing that I tell people to pack for one week and then do laundry. Even if they understand that they think, well, what if I have to go to a really nice dinner? Or what if this happens? Or what if that happens? And it's like you're packing for every situation when even at home, you're not even touching like half the stuff that you're trying to fit in your bag because that situation doesn't happen. So I'm with you with figuring out the situation. And for the first time in my life, two years ago, I I bought a down jacket. I never assumed I'd be that person wearing those like puffy down jackets going around. And I wouldn't in if I was living at home and just, you know, in Philadelphia. But we were going to China and I needed a winter jacket. It was February and I got a down jacket and that thing packs up really, really tight. So there's definitely ways to do it even for cold climates or going from cold to hot climates. You just have to kind of figure out what works for you. Yeah. And, and there's one thing you mentioned in another episode where if you have a gigantic suitcase, you just end up filling it with more stuff. And it's on one level, you can say that, well, that person's a bad packer because they're throwing other stuff in. But on the other hand, like if your suitcase is half empty, stuff's just going to rattle around and, and maybe break. So you just fill the empty space just so it doesn't move around. So even that it seems like that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. But if you just limit yourself to 45 liters, which is what the airline says, then you just you, you start figuring out ways to take things out rather than f- figuring out ways to put more things in. And and so like 
Uh, another really big thing is just versatility. And I actually just posted about this yesterday. So a lot of people, one of the major objections to packing this light is, but I want to look really good. What if I want a nice outfit? And I say to these people, well, then just bring nice outfits. And they just, this apparently is a surprise as well. Cause they say things like, but I, you know, I want a few nice outfits for going out in the evening. And I said, well, why not bring only those outfits? What's the downside? You're going to look really great in the middle of the day. Like there's nothing wrong with that. So like uh, for guys, you know, I, I try to at least pay attention to women's fashion. So if people ask me about high tech travel gear for women, I at least know something. But for the most part, I, I know men's gear a lot more, obviously. So, you know, instead of bringing a bunch of T-shirts that look like cheap, ugly T-shirts or whatever, you can just bring button up shirts of whatever style you think is cool. Just bring instead of bringing seven ugly outfits, just bring seven good looking outfits. And just wear those all day, every day. And then you would just look great all the time. And what's, there's no downside there. I was actually going to bring up that post because I think that's the biggest misconception that people have of, hey, you're telling me to pack light, which means I'm going, I can't look good. And it's the, it's the thing that I've learned from Heather, who is a fashion blogger, the, the most in the last couple of years. You don't have to sacrifice style when packing in a carry-on or when packing light. You know, I am not the most stylish person. You've already admitted that you're not. But that doesn't mean that you... You know, I I still am definitely a cut above that dirty, grimy backpacker who's wearing like the one tank top they bought in Bangkok, and and exactly like you said, I have three button down shirts. Which if anyone watches our videos or sees our pictures on our site, they're like the, they're these J Crew lightweight button down shirts, long sleeve, look good enough to go out in, but are super lightweight. And I just had them in three different colors, and so I pack them instead of packing like you said three random T shirts, and all of a sudden. I can wear that out during the day if we're just walking around town and it looks fine, it looks good, or I can wear it if we're going to go out to a nice dinner and I think that the versatility there is key. I don't know how to convince people of that because it just seems so easy. Like Just just only bring good-looking clothing. So this is what I said in the post. In addition to only bringing good-looking clothing, why don't you just own only good-looking clothing? Like that's I, I don't know why they have ugly clothing in the first place. Now, you know, I don't want to be too mean about it, but I, I said to someone like, why don't you just only bring good looking clothing? And she said, are you saying I have ugly clothes? And I said, no, you are. And it's just, you know, I, you know, I wasn't trying to, that was a friend. So I, I wasn't, that's not the kind of thing I would say to a random stranger. That would be a little weird, but like another example. So for guys, obviously you just, instead of bringing a bunch of ugly looking t-shirts, you can bring nice looking t-shirts, which are, you know, people in a nice looking t-shirt, it looks fine sometimes bring button down shirts and it looks even nicer. Another thing, a specific example that, that people sometimes bring is like a, a hooded sweatshirt, like a college sweatshirt that'll keep you warm, but it's not going to be any better than a really nice looking wool sweater. So instead of bringing a, a college sweatshirt hoodie that makes you look like a 20 year old college kid, you can just bring a really nice looking sweater. And again, what's the downside? You look really nice all day, every day. There's just no downside there. So it just seems pretty easy to me. Just bring seven outfits. All of them have to look good. And then you look good all day, every day. Heather and I have had that tug of war recently with the, I have this hoodie that is a nicer looking hoodie, right? It's not, it doesn't say like um, pen on it or something like that. It's just a nice hoodie that I actually bought in Europe. That's how you know it's actually stylish, right? Because I got it in Vienna. And and she keeps saying, no, bring this like button down cardigan sweater. But, and, and really, you know, it comes down to I'm only bringing one because how how often am I going to need it? But I, I'm so on the ball with you with that. Like, you just just do what you think looks good. And if it is this problem of how can I have good looking clothes and scrubby looking clothes, we'll start 
cutting the scrubby looking clothes. Like, what's wrong with having a regular T-shirt? That's fine. But why do you have to bring seven of them? Bring three of them and then bring three button downs. Yeah, you, you bring the ugly clothing in addition to the good looking clothing, which is just wrong. And, and again, I don't want to say ugly clothing because if you're wearing like jeans and a T-shirt, you know, you can look that it's presentable enough. I don't really I don't judge anyone for that. It doesn't matter. And again, with the hoodie, like some people just they just want to wear a hoodie. Like, all right, but if that's what you want to do, it means you're going to have to pack twice as much stuff if you want to bring something else. And just if you want to pack light, you know, again, you don't have to, but you you can do it pretty easily by just bringing nice looking stuff. There, there's so many advantages to carry on only travel. You, you never lose a bag. And I've been with so many people who have lost a bag. I've been with so many people who had to wait an extra four or five hours because they checked everything and just they're they're sitting there complaining about how annoying it is. And none of them were saying like, that was only a two-week trip. Why don't we just try to go lighter next? Nobody said that. And just you're the first off the plane, and you, you skip the baggage claim, especially if you're traveling internationally. It means you're the first person in line for customs, which if if you're the last person in line on a plane of 300 people, you have to wait for 300 people to go through. If you're the first one, you just walk right through instantly. It can really save you a lot of time, especially if you're doing a lot of international flights. So. I just, I mean, I, I can't even comprehend bringing enough stuff that I would need to bring like 60 liters at this point. Uh, the bag that I bring, I, I don't have like a, a real one yet. I, cause I, I haven't been traveling in a while. So I haven't gotten like a, you know, a, a perfect correct one. Cause I have, I had just been putting it off, but so I, I do go ultralight. The last time I, I took one was a 25 liter bag. That was wow. a Guatemala. And that, uh, that was pretty great. <laughs> and, but one of the reasons I got really obsessed with that is just I'm not big enough to carry a large pack all the time. I just get exhausted and my shoulders hurt and I'm just I'm a small person. I'm not going to do that. So I want to get as light as possible. And then that was part of the reason why I got interested in like the really high tech materials, which I, I tell people it's not entirely necessary. It's it's useful in really extreme weather situations, really hot weather, really cold weather. If you have temperature regulating materials, moisture wicking materials, things like that. It's very useful, but it's not necessary. So they don't have the money to do it. It's not really important, especially if they're going somewhere that's like room temperature, a little chillier, a little warmer. It doesn't matter. It's not super important. But it can also let you uh, hand wash the clothes, hang them up to dry, and they're dry within maybe a day. And it's really useful if you, like with the 25-liter bag, I only had four changes of clothes. And just every time you take a shower, you just hand wash those clothes in the shower. And then you can travel really, really light. Let's go through that packing list, if you would, if you can remember, for that 25 liter. Because I'm sitting here thinking, I, I've done a pretty good job. I've, I've downgraded from my regular Tortuga, you know, 45 liters, down to their Tortuga Air, which I'm a little unsure how many liters that is, maybe 35 or something. But 25 is pretty insane. So what did you bring with you in 25 liters? Because there have been times where I've thought, I could cut this, but it's probably only like one extra thing. Right. So on that trip, that with that trip, I, I did not need to bring winter gear. I needed to bring cool weather gear. So uh, I did not bring the down jacket. It did not have long underwear and I no hat and gloves, things like that. Uh, but the other stuff was just uh, four changes of clothes, which is four shirts, four like pants or shorts, or whatever, uh, underwear, socks, and then a nice sweater, a rain jacket. That was as much cool weather protection as I needed because it didn't get really, really cold there. Uh, for a winter trip, I would have added the down jacket, which is not huge. And then really, really cold trip, you know, the long underwear, gloves, things like that. And then toiletries, which are all those little mini bottles. That way you can do carry on only travel and just really, really basic stuff like books, chargers. I, I only brought my phone. I don't 
really bring a camera anymore just because I'm too lazy and I don't care that much. I don't really use my, my trip photos that much. I look at them for nostalgia reasons every couple of years or something, but you know, if you need to be a photographer, you, you need more stuff. So that's, that's fair, but just basic clothes, basic warm weather or sorry, cold weather, clothing, rain jacket, a couple books. There was one point cause I, I was traveling with three books. I upgraded to a Kindle recently cause I, I just read all the time when I'm on a, those eight hour bus rides are a really great place to, to read a lot. So not only was it a 25 liter bag, but at one point I had three books of like 500 pages each, the big, big sized ones. So now that I have the Kindle, I could actually stuff even more in there. One of the things you talked about is electronics and those can be a killer. That and shoes, I think are, are the two ultimate killers to trying to travel light. And we talked a little bit about shoes and you said that you would bring like one pair of kind of leather shoes that would be nice enough to do some things and then also sandals. Do you ever find yourself wishing that you had some sort of athletic shoe? Because right now for me, I'll give you my little packing list with shoes. It's usually a pair of like nice leather flip-flops, which I wear whenever I have the chance. Then it's usually a pair of like barefoot running shoes, which I found to be really good. I don't like to run, but they're really good because they're super light. And you can basically do any type of sports activity you, you need with them. Like I used to bring like, oh, I'll bring basketball shoes along because I love playing basketball. And then I realized if that happens, whatever, you know. And then I sometimes bring along some sort of like slip on, like you mentioned, leather shoe, not, not usually a boot because they take up too much room. With you, do you bring along the sneakers, or does that usually get cut for you? That gets cut. I On the last trip, I actually, because I knew it was going to be hot the whole time, and Guatemala doesn't really have like an upscale nightlife scene that I'm really concerned with, so I wasn't too worried about looking really, really fancy. So I actually brought, an, and I was sort of excited about this for a while, that you can get Tyvek shoes. So rather Really? Than, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tyvek, for, uh, it's, for those who don't know, it's this... Basically, it's a, like a really strong synthetic paper that's used to protect buildings. I, it has different names in different countries. I've heard the term building paper, but it's it's a weather protective thing that you put over houses so that the rain doesn't damage the wood while you're uh, you know in the middle of building it, which means it's waterproof, so it's a perfectly great waterproof shoe. It's super breathable, like shockingly better than the shoes that I was using at the time. It's really, really strong, so it's not going to tear apart. The one problem that I had with it was that it gets scratched really, really easily. So if the shoe is a certain color, like let's say it's blue, it gets scratched and then you can see the color underneath is white because the natural color is white. So it gets ruined really, really quickly. So I was a little sad about that because it otherwise works great. I can say what the perfect shoe would be and I hope somebody actually does this because it's it's so easy to do. Uh, the problem with shoes is that you either have to stuff socks into them or just take up a humongous amount of space. So. Let's say, for example, uh, like with the Tyvek shoes, for example, the material is really thin. Instead of using Tyvek, which eventually looks really bad, they could just use like nylon, like backpack nylon, the ballistic nylon, things like that, uh, cordura nylon. And if it's if it's the right kind, it'll actually look kind of like canvas shoes, like Converse or Vans or something like that. Second thing is to make the, the heel collapsible. I had a shoe like this where the heel just folds down flat. And then you don't have to deal with the hassle of stuffing socks inside and taking them back out and just the shoes fold down flat and then it's great. And then uh, somehow making the sole a lot lighter. I think there are certain, certain shoes that use air in the sole rather than using cushioning. You just use air because that is cushioning and it weighs nothing, literally nothing. So that that would be the perfect combination because if you have ballistic nylon shoes or cordura nylon shoes, and if you look these up, it'll be one or two examples. 
And I think they should look better than regular sneakers because I think, you know, most sneakers, they look not, not very good. But if these were just black and they were otherwise not youthful looking, they'd be super tough. They'd be very water resistant, very breathable. You put a little lining on the inside to make it more comfortable. You have a collapsible heel so it folds flat. You make it lightweight and just that would instantly be a perfect travel shoe. And so there's, there's a business idea for anybody who wants to do it. Just go ahead and do yeah. that. Do I sense a Kickstarter coming on, Aton? I uh, will see. I just, I, I don't know. I don't want to deal with it. Just, I just want to complain about it, and somebody else will take care of it eventually. Well, there you guys go. Business idea. Thank Aton later. If you heard it here, maybe give us a few, uh, a few free pairs down the road. If this is where you got your idea, that would be really cool. And I have yet to find the quote unquote perfect travel shoe. I found some, like I mentioned, barefoot running shoes. Vivo Barefoot makes a barefoot sole for a boot, like a Clark's Desert boot, which I really like the look of. So there are some ways to get around it a little bit, nothing perfect. But the other killer is electronics. And for Heather and I, obviously we pack quite a bit because we're, you know, we're traveling and working on the road. So we both have our laptops. I have this mic I have like three microphones to interview people. We have all these things. So I get that some people have to travel with a lot, but I do think that a people who are just traveling for a short period of time or or even don't work from the road do tend to overpack. What do you pack when you go on a trip? Because you say you don't use a camera anymore. And do you have suggestions on certain brands that you've researched like, oh, I think this would be good because it's lightweight or it's or it's better quality or things like that? Yeah, so I think one of the things that people do, uh, first of all, even people going on short trips will bring a laptop. And if you're not working, it's just go outside and do something fun. Just just live with the fact you can't get on the internet. All those people who are emailing you, just tell them you're on vacation for a while. And just if you have to do work, then fine, go ahead and bring it. Or if you just if you're going on a long trip and you want some way to upload the photos and whatever, like okay, fine, fine. You can get really really thin laptops now that don't take up a lot of space. So I I would recommend one of those just because people who like to have extra screen size and extra power and whatever, like, all right, fine, but you have to carry it around. It's going to get really annoying. It's more expensive. It's something you have to insure or it gets lost. And just, I, I go for the really tiny ones just because that's automatically what I do for everything. And then beyond that, there are certain people who like to have an external hard drive, which I would recommend trying to avoid. Just try to find one of those photo storage services. You know, it, it takes a while to upload all those photos, but then you don't have to deal with that. If you just try to do that in the middle of the night, for example, then it's really easy. And that's one of the reasons why I like using my phone because you take a bunch of pictures during the day, you go to sleep, and then you just go into one of those photo storage apps and you just click upload all photos. And that, you know, you need to be over a Wi-Fi connection for that. Otherwise, it's too slow, but that's that's easy to do. It's even better than a camera because you don't have to deal with this SD card and sticking it in, uploading it. You can do it in your sleep and it works really well. Um... I, Do you I have one that you use specifically that you recommend? I, I use an iPhone 5S, and that's just because I've I've always been a really big fan of Apple, even when they were going nearly out of business. It's really funny telling kids nowadays, like, Apple was, like, literally on the brink of not existing anymore. Like, what are you talking about? It's like, 10 years ago, like, they almost didn't exist. But anyway, so I just I've just been a fan for a while. I don't really get, you know, excited about, like iPhones versus Android phones. I don't really care much. You just pick one you want. Uh, I just happen to use that because I like it. I got the 5S because it happened to have the best camera available for any iPhone at the time. It also has the fingerprint reader, which I really like because if I'm traveling, I don't want my phone getting stolen or lost and then somebody can get into it. So I, I put 
you know, I, I use the password, but instead of typing the password like 50 or 100 times per day, every single time you want to get in, it's just much better to have that little fingerprint. So that's, that's not travel related. That's just an extra convenience. Do you have a photo storage um, that you use with your iPhone that you, that you like? Yeah, I've been using, I sort of use a combination because I, I'm one of those people who will get the free account that gives you a few gigabytes and then get the free account somewhere else that gives you a few gigabytes and that kind of thing. And uh, so I, I use Dropbox. I also use Box.net. And uh, those work fine. There's, there, there are a whole bunch now. Like Google Drive, I think, gives you a lot of space. Yahoo is, is giving like a terabyte of storage space to people. So there, there are a lot of options. And I haven't really kept up with them just because I've stuck with the ones that I've been using. But, I mean, there's a pretty obscene amount of storage space. And another thing I tell people, which, again, this is mind-blowing to them, the megapixel count is not the important part of how good the photo is. And I've tried to convince people of this over and over again, but they just don't believe me. So taking something at, like, 15 megapixels, and then you view it on a computer screen, your computer might be 2 megapixels. So those other ones just literally disappear. So if you're getting something that you're just going to see on the computer, you don't have to take it that fancy setting all the time. And then it makes it easier to upload you don't have to buy the fancy storage card. Uh, your phone doesn't run out of space. With a phone, it's automatic. They always take it at a certain number of megapixels. But it's not huge, so it's not so bad. But you know, I've gotten into these arguments. People say, oh, I can tell the difference. No, you literally can't. Your screen literally only has two. And they say, oh, but what if you want to print out the photo? Like, Have you ever done that before? And they think, oh. What if I'm showing it on a movie screen? Like, Well, have you done it? Probably not. George Lucas is not calling you to get your uh, your film from your travels. Yeah, and I, I, I there are a lot of little placebo things like that I think are a little weird. You know, certain people need them. If you're a professional photographer, you're going to sell the photos, or if you want to turn it into a poster for some reason or another. But everybody else, you know, you, your eyes literally won't see it beyond a certain point. So that, that just makes it a little easier. You take small file sizes, you can upload them quickly, and it works out great. Another trick too, and you you mentioned that you do this is, and and Heather and I started doing this until we got a DSLR camera, which we do use for for our site and some professional stuff. But is now that you have these phones, I mean the iPhone five S, the six, all these Android phones, all have awesome cameras. I don't see any purpose, and maybe I'm being naive here, and I don't know that much about photography, but I don't see really any purpose of carrying a point and shoot camera. I mean, it's either kind of going all out with these DSLRs. Now all the, now they have the mirrorless ones that are even smaller and more compact and can take supposedly just as good of pictures. But really, I mean, if you're a amateur traveler, you're not doing anything professional, you can get away with just carrying around your iPhone and, and snapping all your pictures with that. Yeah, and then you can upload the photos while you sleep, which is very useful. I There's only one disadvantage, which is the zoom. If you're far away from somewhere and you want to zoom in, then you can't do that. But I think that will eventually be solved. There, it's kind of interesting. There's some patents around that they're they're basically promising that they're going to allow zoom without physically moving the lens at all. So you're going to be able to have a zoom lens in a in a camera with a flat, tiny little slim smartphone that uh, just you know it doesn't need to physically zoom. There are no moving parts, and it's it's kind of neat. That's obviously not out yet, but it has already been patented, so it's going to happen sooner or later. So I think point and shoots are just going to disappear. DSLRs will get smaller and smaller because they're going to figure out clever tricks. They have to, otherwise people get tired of carrying them. But uh, I think point shoots are just going to cease to exist within, I don't know, five or ten years or something. Except in maybe certain countries where they don't have smartphones that much. Right, right. There's, they'll exist somewhere. Like it'll, it'll be people in the middle of Africa using a point and shoot camera or something. Do you have any suggestions then? Because we talked about the kind of general packing. Hey, pack for a week. Um, you could do your laundry 
if you can get microfiber um, stuff and, and kind of these upper echelon type materials, but it's not a big deal if you're going to regular weather. But what about specific brands? Because that's one of the things I love about your site is you will actually not just talk about these general hey, here's the big picture. Here's how to pack light. But you say like, I've tried these pants. These are better. And I know a lot of this is for guys' clothing, um, which is good because Heather's come on and talked about girls' clothing a lot and done that. We haven't really discussed specific brands for guys' clothing. Are there some that you specifically like for shirts, for shoes, for pants, or what have you? It's a little random. So I, I the, the most recent article that I published on the site, which you mentioned recently, was just I wanted to do an example of okay, here's an outfit, here's another outfit, and it's like a head-to-toe outfit from a certain brand. So there are like 10 different companies there, and just, there's a, a photo of just, there's a shirt, there's a pair of pants, there's a jacket, there's a sweater, all from one brand, and you can kind of see how an outfit goes together just to give people suggestions of, no, you don't have to look really weird and ridiculous when you go traveling. This, here's an example of like an outfit that looks normal. Again, it's just my personal opinion of what counts as good-looking, but it's just normal-looking stuff, like button-up shirts that look exactly like any other button-up shirt. Um, so I, I did that, and that was brand-specific so people could actually go somewhere. It's a little weird sometimes because sometimes I don't want to give super specific details because maybe they just don't like the, the color of the thing I'm recommending. So I just I want to issue some conceptual suggestions so that they will then find whatever they like out of that material. Or I say, like, get everything the same color. That way you can mix and match or the same, you know, things match not the same color, but, you know, harmonious colors, I guess. Uh, but I, there are a couple brands that I keep track of. And if you look on that, you know, the recent post, there, there are 10 examples of the outfits that has much there. So just a few of them are Outlier, uh, Ministry of Supply. It's very office-oriented. Uh, there's a company called Bluffworks, which makes a pair of travel pants I really like. Uh, Rohan is a, is a British company that makes a lot of travel stuff that doesn't look anything like travel stuff. They just all the zippered pockets are hidden somewhere, which is just, I uh, get really, really upset whenever you can see the crazy zippered pockets, things like that. Um, it's just <laughs> me too. Why, why, why see a zipper, you know? Yeah. It's just, I mean, if it's, I, I feel a little bad being like really overtly critical of certain people's designs, things like that. But it's just, if they can see the zipper, they know they have to deal with it when they're trying to pickpocket you. And it looks ugly at the same time. So if you hide the zippers, not only is it safer, but it's more fashionable too. It's a win-win for everyone. So uh, those are those are just a few examples. If you, uh, you know, that most recent post will have quite a few other examples too. Some of these companies are really, really tiny and they literally only have one product or something like that. So I kind of mix and match randomly of, of what I'm going with because even if there's something that works really, really well and I like it, you know, maybe the color is not what I want. Some other company has something. Um, I, I get really adamant, for example, about jean pockets because nothing can fall out of them, whereas regular khaki pockets, it's just every time I sit down, something's going to fall out. It's just, I, no, don't do that. Yeah, and so we will link that up as well as anything we've talked about in the show notes, guys. And it's, it's a great post. You can see exactly what Aton is talking about. And, and he actually links up to different things and different brands. And then you can kind of build your own own wardrobe. One of the reasons why I love the site is that it you can actually see specific things. It's not just generalizations. So we'll link all that in the show notes. At Extra Pack of Peanuts, Aethan, one of the things that is our main goal is to help people travel more while spending less. And I know that you are a proponent of 
you know, traveling light and, and budget travel and things like that. What are some of your best tips for traveling more and spending less? Uh, so I think some people get stuck in like, okay, you're going to go to a hostel. Like all the only way you can save money is with couch surfing or staying with a friend or something like that. You might not really be in control of that. And there are sites you want to see. You have to see them all. So you have to pay whatever the entrance fee is for all that. So transportation also, either you're going to go somewhere, or you're not going to go somewhere. So you have to spend on that unless you're biking around by yourself or something. But just a lot of those things, you sort of have to spend money. And one of the things you can really, really cut down is food and not necessarily cooking for yourself because that gets to be a weird hassle when you're in a hostel and you don't have supplies that you can leave in a refrigerator because you're going to leave the next day. Just I really like going to bakeries and just stocking up on freshly baked bread and, and things like that. It just It's a lot of carbohydrates. You're going to walk around all day. It's very, very cheap. Uh, markets are a nice idea, like fruit and vegetables, things like that. Uh, it depends on which country you go to. Some of the, some countries like Southeast Asian countries that have a really good street food culture, the food is already really cheap anyway, so it's not really a big deal. But if you're going somewhere like Europe and North America, a meal is going to be $10, $15, $20, whereas like a nice, super freshly baked, baked loaf of bread might be a dollar or two, and it's going to be great. Yeah, Heather and I, when we were in Paris, I mean, trying to do it somewhat cheap or as cheap as you can do Paris, we would always go out and we'd go to a bakery. And some of the bakeries even have pre-made sandwiches, but they were, you know, four fifty as opposed to if you were going to go to a sit-down restaurant, it was going to be 15 bucks. And, you know, we'd get either a pre-made sandwich or we'd get a baguette and get some cheese at the grocery store, grab a bottle of wine, sit in the park, and you've got yourself an awesome meal for you know, what would be like $8 or $7 sometimes. So I agree with you that one of the things we love to do is eat when we travel. That's one of the reasons we do travel. But just because you're eating cheap or relatively cheap doesn't mean that you can't have these interesting experiences. It just comes down to what you prioritize. Do you want to sit in a nice restaurant and pay for the ambiance? Or would you rather kind of do your own thing and have some fun while doing it? Yeah. And another time, so I, this, I was really happy about this. I, I was in Greece several years ago and it was in the middle of winter. It was incredibly cold. And on that trip, I actually had all the gear. But what I decided to do, I realized that Greece has a really good restaurant culture where they give you like a loaf of bread cut up into little pieces, even if it's just one person sitting in the restaurant. So what I would do is I would go to the nicest restaurant in the entire city, the one that recommended in whatever guidebook is like, this is a splurge. It's really expensive, but it's really good. And I would order a bowl of soup, and that was all. And then they would bring this gigantic loaf of bread along with it. Each one of those meals was about two euros, and it was amazingly good, amazing fresh food. It was obviously really hot, which was very satisfying in the middle of winter, and that was that was a very good time. So and then, try that one too in the winter. I love that. Uh, I love the kind of happy hour specials, depending where you're on the world, like Aperitivo in Italy. You know, five to six, if you get a drink, like a beer or a cocktail, free buffets. So we'd always go and we'd get one cocktail each or one beer and we would just load up on the free buffets. Or if you're in North America or something like that, the happy hours, that's one of the ways that we always eat cheap is, you know, you're getting probably the same food that's going to be on the dinner menu, but you're getting it cheaper. And, you know, you just have to eat a little bit earlier. But hey, who who doesn't want to knock off work a little bit earlier to go have a drink anyway? Yeah, exactly. And uh, drink prices, obviously, is another way to save quite a bit because it's it, depending on what you do. Not everybody likes to go drinking when they when they go traveling, but obviously some people do and just do a little pre-party and that'll work out nicely. For sure. One of my favorite questions to ask guests on the show is about their travel mistakes or mishaps. Everyone thinks that seasoned travelers, hey, they've got it all together. Like They must make no mistakes. They're veterans at this. And 
That is not the case with me. Maybe not with you. We'll see. Is there a hilarious mishap that you've had while traveling that stuck out in your mind of like, I can't believe I made this mistake or this is happening to me and I could have avoided it, but you know, I did something dumb. So uh, there are two, two things stand out. is like a, the whole Italy trip, which was the very first backpacking experience I was on, something went wrong literally every single day. And it wasn't always disastrous. But what I was trying to do, it was the middle of winter. It was a winter break during a study abroad here in Spain. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go there for the winter break. I have three weeks. I need to see everything there is to see in Italy in three weeks because I might never, ever be there again. It's the first backpacking trip. I didn't know how to pack right, and I didn't have the money to do it anyway, even if I had the experience. Uh, so what I tried to do is take night trains whenever it was possible to do so. So I would take a night train, sightsee during the day, take another night train, sightsee during the day. And that works okay if it's an eight-hour ride, but it works horribly if it's maybe three hours. What I decided to do is I would just take a nap in the train station in the waiting room, take a train in the middle of the night, and then take a nap in the waiting room when I get there, and then have a cup of coffee and warm up, which actually worked out sometimes, and sometimes it was disastrous. So I actually got locked overnight in the Ravenna train station. And then there was another time when uh, there were like like 50 homeless people in the Bologna train station, and I, well, everybody's sleeping here anyway. I'm going to take a morning train out. I'll just stay here. And then they shut down the train station for an hour in the middle of the night, so I had to go out in the snow, and that was pretty terrible. And just things like this happened all the time. I got to Pisa at four o'clock in the morning and I just couldn't sleep. And I, Pisa's right there. Like, I'm not going to get a hotel and stay the night in Pisa. There's only one thing to see. So I just went to see the Leaning Tower Pisa around five o'clock in the morning. That was pretty cool. Nobody was there. It's completely pitch dark. It's lit up so you can see it. So that was actually pretty fun. So I laid in the field there. Just, just there were constant problems like that, which dealing with below freezing winter for three weeks straight and not having adequate gear, staying up in the middle of the night. And then uh, the, another time, Eastern Europe, for example, they, the, all the bad stories about the police officers wanting bribes, all of them are completely true. So over the course of several months, I got stopped like five or six times, and I think I got out of there with maybe $15 of bribes. Most of the time, I got out without having to do it at all, which was great. But you know, everybody's going to say, oh, your documents are wrong, and then what are you going to do about it? Right. Yeah, sometimes you just have to end up paying that money. That That's hilarious. The Pisa thing is great. What's cool about that is when I got there at the Leaning Tower, you know, it was during the day, who knows, probably midday. And we were, again, we were just stopping going through, but you didn't have to deal with all the hordes who were like taking the pictures, holding it up, taking the pictures, pushing it down. Everyone's trying to pose in front of it. So you actually got to be there in the, uh, it, it worked out for you being there early, I guess. Yeah, it did. There was literally not anyone else there and just staring up at it, waiting for it to open. I, I went inside because I was, I think, 7 a.m. or 9 a.m. or whatever they opened. And I was obviously the first group that gets to go in. So nobody there, middle of winter, nobody's traveling around it anyway. So you have it to yourself. Awesome. Eitan, thanks so much for coming on the show and for the awesome travel gear post that, that you put together. You do make it really, really easy for people to pack light, give them options, tell them kind of how, and then show them hey, here's the stuff that, that I like. And I've used it uh, numerous times. Every, whenever I Google it, it just comes up. So I'm like, there we go. Let's read that. So thank you so much for that. Remind people one more time how they can come connect with you. So Snarky Nomad is the name. It's snarkynomad.com. It's the same on Twitter, Facebook, and everywhere else. So I, I was really proud that nobody had taken that yet because I thought it was pretty funny. That's It's exactly what I like to do. 
Guys, I highly recommend checking out snarkynomad.com. It's super easy to navigate the site. The posts are an excellent resource. And and like I already mentioned, it, he does all the work for you. So go check that out. As always, we've got all that plus any other things that we mentioned in the show notes. You can find that at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. We'll link up all the different posts that we talked about here to make it easy for you. And if you like this podcast, I've got two recommendations for you guys from the archives that you're bound to enjoy as well. One that um, Eitan and and me already talked about, episode 87, Packing as Light as Air with Fred Parada. Fred's the founder of Tortuga Backpacks, a good friend of mine. We talk along these lines of how you can pack light, how you can pack and just to carry on. So if you want more packing tips, go check that out. And then episode 104, our pre-travel checklist, where Heather and I discussed the 24 things you should do before leaving on a trip. Gotten really good feedback about this. It's just a handy checklist for people not forgetting anything and, and helping you to stress out less before you go because you can go down and say, yes, I should do this, 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 this. So check that out if you're looking for actionable, executable travel tips. Eitan, thanks so much for coming on the show again. Yeah, I had a really good time. Happy to finally be able to put this dorky knowledge to good use. So I, I appreciate that. It's a lot of fun. Well, you're, you're in good company. A fellow dork over here, a fellow travel dork. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Thanks for the support and for making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travel. I'll show you Paris.